0: Welcome to the King's Cost dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. 1 Thessalonians 1. Well, I don't know if many of you know this today, but today is Pentecost Sunday. I don't know if you knew that, but today we're celebrating Uh, Pentecost Sunday. It's great, isn't it, to remember. Some of you probably are saying today, well, I don't even know and understand what Pentecost is. I have many people sometimes when I meet them say, "Um, you know, what kind of church is it from? I say, Pentecostal church. They they say, well, what does Pentecostal mean? And um, I don't know, many of you should know this already as being part of a Pentecostal church, but today we celebrate the birth of the church. Amen. We know Jesus died on the cross. He paid the price, but we know that there was an occurrence that happened in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost that birthed and made the church what it is today. If it wasn't for the outpouring of the Spirit and the birth of the church, then we wouldn't necessarily be here and doing what we're doing now. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, You must go to Jerusalem for the gift to come, so that the Holy Spirit will be poured out. And uh, many times people celebrate Pentecost, but I really believe that Pentecost is, it was for the birth of the church, but also the empowerment Of the church as well, and the equipping of the church in Acts two, as we see that. I want to look today. We're going to pick up just in First Thessalonians one, and I want to talk about Pentecost, but I want to pick up in First Thessalonians one because I want to look at the effects of the type of people that Pentecost people are, and. If you read in, we're not going to look at it now, but if you read in Acts chapter 17, you'll see that following the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, what happens as a result from that is churches are planted. Churches are formed, the Holy Spirit is poured out, miracles are occurring. It's a very common occurrence that signs and wonders are occurring. The church is not only just birthed, but it is equipped for God to move. And in Acts chapter 17, you'll see this, the, the outcome of the message of the gospel planting a church in Thessalonica. So we see this, this plant of this church. We see that the outpouring happens to the point where it starts to birth churches. And Paul goes on these missionary journeys to plant these churches. In Acts chapter 17, we see this. But in 1 Thessalonians 1, where we're about to read now, we see Paul's letter... To the Thessalonians, after this occurrence, maybe a couple of years, year or so after, he sends a letter to encourage them about the fact of how well they're doing and what God is doing in their midst because of this church plan. Let's pick up in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 4. Paul says this, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. He's talking about the Thessalonian church. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know, Paul says, how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy of Given by the Holy Spirit, and so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Wow, they had great effect. Then we move on to First Thessalonians two and verse one. He says this, you know, brothers and sisters, again speaking to the Thessalonians, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. So we cared for you, because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you, not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and our hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You were witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us you accepted it not as a human word but as but as it is as it actually is the word of god which is indeed at work in you who believe paul here in 1 Thessalonians 1 and as we're going to 2 as he's sending his letter back to the church that was formed from Pentecost, as you would say, as, as this outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes in, in, in Acts chapter 2, and then we move to Acts chapter 17, he's now sending them a letter back a couple of years later saying, I want to write a letter to talk about what happened when we came to you, we planted the church in this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but not only that, to talk about the kind of characteristics of who we were and what you received. And I want to talk today a little bit about what kind of people these people were. Because I believe we're in a generation today where the church seemingly is getting greater. We're seeing amazing things as we look on. You can look on some of the TV programs, God channels, and you can see churches flourishing around you. But the biggest question is this. Are they really flourishing in the things? Do they contain the DNA of what the original church had in the book of Acts? You see, many of us, we know what our church is. We know what we like. We know when we go, we like certain songs. We like the way we do things. But the, the most important ingredient in our churches is not that we try to become like the book of Acts. Because listen, if we did church like the book of Acts, you wouldn't be singing any of these songs today. You know, many people say, I want, a ch- I want church to be like the book of Acts. Well, which part of Acts do you want? And some of us, we don't understand what that means. But actually, yes, we should adapt to culture. We should adapt to what's happening. And we should adapt to the young culture of today. However, we should never change what I'm going to call today the DNA of the church. You see, it's so tempting to change the DNA of the church and to modify it into something different. Now, I don't know much about DNA. I know we've got a couple of people in here who work with gene sequencing and things like this. And so they probably know far better than I do. But I'm quite amazed these days, and I've been amazed in the past when I've worked in particular industries, looking in the area of what's called bioinformatics, if you look in this area, you'll see today that people are that clever that they can take uh, someone's DNA, a human DNA, and they can manipulate that DNA. They can change it and reproduce. You, many of you have heard of cloning. You can clone something for if you've got enough, enough of that DNA. You can clone something else. But there's also something that's called not just cloning, but it's called DNA targeting and DNA del- deletion. And these type of things are to take out some parts of the DNA strand. So that the things that are affected, that you remove these things out of the DNA. Sometimes there's DNA targeting where you target a piece of DNA from one thing and apply it into another. I hope I'm right Alan. No comment. See, don't talk to Alan after. Now the thing is this that these things are possible. Not everything's available, but things are possible. Technology allows for things like this to happen. Why do I say this? Because I believe that the church today is is in a dangerous territory sometimes in the area of what we want to modify and delete. We just want the good things and we decide to remove some of the strands that we don't like, or the areas of that DNA that we don't like. And we can get into an area of where we modify, we genetically modify the church. And I want to encourage you today that we want a church here that keeps the characteristics, the DNA of that Acts church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that fell. We want the same church. And do you know what? I might look around me sometimes and think, well, other churches seem to flourish more. I don't care whether I see another church flourishing more, because the fact is this. We need a church that's on fire with the Holy Ghost. We're not here to play games. We're not here to build business. We're not here to build empires. We're here to build the kingdom of God. We cannot look at some of the things that we call success. And we can't look at these things sometimes and say, Oh, I'm going to keep this and we'll remove this because this seems to be working. You know, the biggest thing that we can easily delete if we're going to do some gene deletion is the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Of sin and repentance. You know, not everyone likes that, those words. Not everyone likes the fact that we have to come and repent to God. But listen, this is the truth. If we need to live holy lifestyles before God. And Jesus died on the cross. His blood was shed. So that we can be forgiven of our sin. Amen. Do you know the greatest DNA that we carry. Is Christ's blood that was on the cross. The only reason the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came. Is because Jesus fulfilled what he did on the cross. The blood that was shed carries the DNA. The sacrifice. The gospel. The the sacrifice that has gone through the centuries. 2,000 years to today. In some places today, don't even mention or talk about Jesus anymore. Most of it's about life coaching. Most of it's about, this is the steps, one, two, three steps to success. And we forget who Jesus is. You know, sometimes we've got a question, even in our songs, of how much is Jesus mentioned? I see songs sometimes they look like they could be for love songs. They could be on, in the charts. You never, never meant, hear a mention of the name of Jesus. We got a question today. What are we deleting? What are we removing? Out. You see, Jesus spoke in Revelation to John. In John chapter three, verse one, he speaks to the church in Sardis and he says this, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. How can we have a reputation of being alive? We can have all the great things in church, but sometimes inside we're spiritually dead. I want to talk today about what kind of people Pentecost people are because I believe that's the type of people that we need to be what type of people what is it in the DNA that they carry we're not talking about culture we're not talking about what kind of songs they sung we're not talking about that we're talking about what is it that they carried that was poured out on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 what is it that they carry that we need to be today because that will determine our success for kingdom building Number one today, people, Pentecost people were people with authority. They were people with authority. Now I want to ask you today, as a Christian when you come into the faith, do you really believe you have authority in Christ? Because when the Spirit of God was poured out in Acts chapter 2, we see that Peter has changed from someone completely different to someone with authority. He stands up and he declares the gospel on the day of Pentecost. And just a few chapters or a bit of time before that, he is there and he's denying Jesus. But now with boldness from the Holy Ghost, he stands and declares the gospel. Listen to me. You've not come into the faith just to be at church every week. You've come to receive authority. You've come to receive authority. And the people of Pentecost were people with authority. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5, we read it earlier. Paul said this, our gospel, he says to the Thessalonians, he says, listen, when we planted your church, when we came to you, our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power. If you need, if you're gonna have authority, then you need power. If someone says to you today, I'm gonna to give you authority to do something, then they're gonna empower you. They're gonna give you something that's above and beyond and give you power. And some of us today we're thinking, well, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't know, I didn't know I could have power. I didn't know I could have authority. And this is the type of churches sometimes we see people who just go because they just want to feel good each week. But I'm telling you there's no better feeling than when you walk 24 hours a day knowing that you have authority in Christ. Power. Power. And I want to encourage you today that the Thessalonians, as Paul says, we came to you not with just wise words. Not with just intellectual stuff. We came to you with power authority. I want to encourage you and ask you today, do you carry that authority? Listen, I'm not asking you, telling you because you can't have it. The Bible says if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you will have authority. The enemy wants to tell us we haven't got it, so you're going to be in a constant battle against that. But the truth is this, we have authority in Christ. Something bigger than us. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, he said, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. We don't see many snakes and scorpions in Cambridge, do we? I, I went and made an accident the other week. Jacob, I, I, he loves cycling. I said, I'll take you to Thetford Forest. I said, that, and he said, is there, any, is there anything that might attack us then? I said, there's snakes. There's, I think there's grass snakes or something. And ever since he's asking, how big are these snakes? He doesn't want to go cycling now. We don't suffer here with snakes and scorpions. Sometimes there are people a little bit like a snake and a scorpion. But we don't suffer with snakes and scorpions. And sometimes you feel like trampling on them as well. Did I just say that? Listen. But he says this. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. This is what it meant to them in the day. They probably did have to deal with these kind of issues. Remember Paul at Malta? He gets bitten with a snake. But listen, you might not be fighting snakes, but you're going to need authority in certain areas tomorrow morning. You're going to need authority when you go to work tomorrow morning in certain areas to show the kingdom of God. Sometimes there might be people who attack you, and you need the authority of Christ to rise up within you. Your boss might not be a snake. Well, you know, we've all had a few. But listen, and don't go trampling on him tomorrow and saying that you were told to trample on him because you have authority. But listen, we have authority in Christ. Amen? Then he says this, not only to trample on snakes and scorpions, but he says in Luke ten nineteen, Jesus says, To overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. Come on guys, we've got to get this scripture inside of our hearts. Nothing will harm you. Jesus said, don't worry about the body. What anyone's going to do to the body, worry about your soul. Listen, we haven't got to worry because sometimes you're going to say, well why is it I see persecution? Why is it I see people get hurt? You are going to see these things. People will die. People will be martyrs for the gospel. But the truth is this, we serve an eternal God. It's not about this life. This is just a rehearsal. We're getting ready for the big thing, aren't we? What's coming? The future, eternity with Jesus. Nothing will harm you. He will give us power and authority. And I want to encourage you today that Pentecost people have authority and power. They saw that. Paul said, When we came to you guys. Can you remember when we were planting churches because of the outpouring, when we came in Acts 17? Guys, we didn't just come with telling you some good, interesting words. We came with power. Do you have power today and authority in Jesus? Not power to manipulate people, but power and authority in Jesus. Now, just the other day I was going through town. And as I was cycling through town, I was riding through and I see a lady coming towards me as I'm riding on my bike, and I stopped and saw the lady, because she had a crutch, and this lady had a crutch, and I felt the Lord, I see many people with crutches, I don't always stop everyone, but I saw this lady, and I said, I'm sorry, I I just can't help noticing you have a crutch, what's your problem? The lady said to me, she said, I've got three things wrong with me, and I said, oh dear, I said, and she said, first of all, I'm waiting for someone to bring a mobility scooter. She was stood in the park, so I stood with her. And I said, and at first, I think she thought I was going to mug her. She was ready to trample on me, I think. And I thought, you know, one of the key things, if this, if I'm going to encourage you in evangelism, is to be gentle with people, to gain their trust. You know, not just to go in straight away and, and be boisterous. And I spent time talking to this woman and loving her and saying, you know, what is it that's wrong? And I notice you're walking like this. And the lady said this to me. She said. She said, I've, I've been in pain because six years ago I had an accident. She goes, and my knee, I've damaged the nerves from my knee to my brain. So when I walk, I can't. my brain doesn't tell my leg to move straight away. She says, so it's a bit, my, my coordination's out. But then she said, another thing that's wrong is I was in hospital with this, fell off uh, one of the beds and broke my hand. I've now got pain in my hand. Then she says to me, but other than that, I've got a tumor that's on my ankle, on my inside of my right ankle. I thought, wow, I need faith. Why did I stop? I just wanted a headache. And I said to her, I said, listen. I said, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. I said, I want to tell you. I, I felt to stop because I felt that the Lord wanted you to know that you are loved by him. I didn't talk about healing straight away. She said this to me. She said, I used to go to church many years ago. And I stopped going I've given up on faith. She said, for many years I went to Sunday school. I used to be leading Sunday school. And then she said, I stopped going. This lady was in her 60s maybe, around that age. And then she said this. She said, but I've given up on faith. I said, I believe that now is a divine appointment for you from from God. Because I believe God wants you to know that he loves you. The lady looked at me and she began to talk again and just exchange and say, it's really nice to meet you. And I think she was still a little bit worried thinking what's going on. And then a friend came and brought a mobility scooter for her. So I thought, the friend's looking at me thinking, who are you? And I'm just stood there hanging around with my cycle helmet on. I'd forgot I'd left it on. And then I looked at her and I just said, listen, the lady left. I said, listen, sit down in your chair on your scooter. I said, I want to pray for you. I said, because I believe Jesus heals. She said, you believe in the Trinity? You, still, you believe that the Holy Spirit is here? I said, yes. I said, I believe he's here. I said, I want to pray for you. I said, first of all, let's pray for your uh, legs. So we prayed for the leg with the brain uh, connection. Prayed for that, then the hand. All the pain left a hand. So the pain leaves a hand. She said to me, well, I, sometimes the pain does leave my hand. I said, well, okay. Well, it's great that it's gone now, isn't it? I said, but finally, I want to pray for this tumor on your foot. So she turns her foot out to me on the mobility scooter. The tumour is is raised out. All the swelling is around the foot. And as I said, I want to put my hand on this tumour. Is that okay? And I want to command. I said, do you want this tumour to go now? She said, yes. I said, I'm going to command this tumour to dissolve now. And as I put my hand on it, I prayed three times. After the third prayer, the tumour had completely vanished. The tumour was literally getting smaller and smaller underneath my hand I've seen many limbs grow I've seen all sorts of things but this time i would seen this tumor begin to dissolve the swelling go down on the foot to the point where the is shocked saying all the swelling's gone down I said I know I can see I said you tell me what you can feel I said I can feel it's going down but you tell me I need you to tell me what you feel so she keeps feeling her leg. she's saying it's going down it's going down to the point where we couldn't feel the tumour. I then said to her, I says, listen, stand up now. I says, in the Bible, it says that, that Jesus said that people, he, he res- that people got healed because he responded to their faith. I says, it's nothing to do with me. She said, have you got electrical power current running through you? She said, I felt something when you were praying. I said, I've got nothing. It's Jesus, the Holy Spirit. I said, I've got nothing, no aura. There's nothing special about me. And then she said, I said, stand up out of your chair. And she walked towards me and I said, leave the stick and walk towards me. Now, I knew that she could walk anyway without the stick because we'd discovered that. But she walked towards me and then she said this. She said, it feels different. Something feels different. I'm overwhelmed. What's going on? And I said, I'm overwhelmed too. And then I said to her this. I said, tell me what's happening. And this is what she said. She says, the leg where the tumor was has been cold for months. Because of no proper circulation. She says, all of my foot is beginning to go warm again. I said, praise God. (laughs) Listen. Do you know where this is? This is at uh, Drummer Street Park. This is in our city. This is amongst while young, young people were sat watching me and thinking, what on earth are you doing? I don't care what they think because I have a power and authority. And when we have power and authority, you have to do it. There is no question. What I'm beginning to learn is even when I choose not to pray for people, God puts people in front of me. You can't escape it. And I want to encourage you today that you have power and authority. First Corinthians 4.20, Paul said this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but power. How many people love a good old discussion? How many people love to get, we need to get around the word of God, but some of us need to put it into action. The lady said this to me at one point, she said, I just want to tell you this before you pray, I don't like uh, Paul in the Bible. That's what she said to me. I thought, well, I'm not off to a good start because that's the kind of things we believe in. She said, I don't believe in Paul, but I like James. <laughs> this is what she said. I said, you like Jim's, okay? I said, well, listen, James said this. Jim says that we should be doers of the word, and when we, look, when we read the word, we should go away and do it. If we don't, it's like looking in a mirror and forgetting what we look like. I said, Paul, Apostle Paul, was a doer of the word. He did what the word said, so I pretty much like Paul because he did what James said. She said, oh yeah. She said, I don't know why Paul had to add all these things onto Christianity. I'll tell you why he did, because it was the birth of the church. Jesus has left. His spirit is here, but he has called us to be his hands and feet. Amen. Some people don't want power today though. Some people don't want the power. You see in Sardis, in in Revelation when it talks about that they had a reputation. They had a reputation for being alive but they were dead. You ask yourself today, you look around you at churches. Some churches look like they've got everything going for them. They've got a reputation of being alive but they're dead. Underneath they may be dead. And I want to ask you today, do you know one thing I thought was, it's actually, I really believe God did this. But today I came upstairs and the guy said this to me. They said, by the way, Windows operating system is doing an automatic update and we cannot stop it. It's been running for an hour and there is no lyrics for the people to sing. I thought, oh no. Just everyone keep talking and we're trying to wait for the words to come up as you saw. And I realized that actually one of the points of my message is this very thing. Is the fact that we need to not rely on technology. You see many of us today in churches they have a reputation for being alive. Because they put things in to create things that look alive. But underneath they're dead. Spiritually dead. Underneath they don't understand there is power. They don't understand that there is something that they can walk daily with. And it's all about the Sunday show. We're not here for a Sunday show. We're not here for to put on a show for anyone. We're here to preach the truth, to change lives. You know, I was with—I'm not going to mention where it was, but I was somewhere recently. And by the way, I love all this kind of stuff, so don't get me wrong. But I was at somewhere recently, and they uh, had—I looked on the stage, and there was smoke beginning to appear, and I thought the Lord had returned. I thought, is Jesus coming back? There is smoke appearing. Wow, this looks cool. And I looked on the stage and do you know what? I always look for where the, I thought, where's the smoke machine? Where they are hiding it? And I looked and I couldn't see the smoke machine anywhere. I thought, wow, is this God? And then I looked down to the left and the right, far away from the stage. And there were two little machines blowing onto the stage. The only reason they were blowing is because they got a fan that was fanning the smoke up subtly. And, you know, I've got nothing against these kind of things. You know, if we put in effects, you know, if you paint the color of the wall at the back red, we've done it for effect. There's nothing wrong with this. It's culture. It's good. It's good for things to, for people to do this. But the question is this. What happens when the smoke machine breaks? What happens when the lights go down? What happens when you ain't got any music running through your PA system? The biggest question for any church today is if the fuse blows, what are you going to do? Can you worship him in spirit and truth? Can you worship without this stuff? We love it. It's great. But we've got to ask the question. Does it give us just a reputation for being alive when underneath we're hiding our spiritual level, our spiritual temperature with God? You see in Acts chapter 2 verse 2 when the outpouring of the Spirit came on Pentecost. He says this, suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Listen to me, when that wind blew in that place, it wasn't a machine. It wasn't a fan. It was the power of Almighty God. It was Jesus. It was his Holy Spirit falling in that house. And some of us have lost this view. We'd rather have a machine than the real thing. Listen to me, as long as you got both, it's fine. But if you're substituting, if you're deleting this part of the DNA because you're thinking we ain't got it, because you're not really living it, and then you try to reproduce something that just looks a little bit like it, then we're on a slippery slope. The Thessalonians not only welcome power, but they welcome the guidance, they welcome the Holy Spirit. Listen to this, First Thessalonians 1, verse 5, Paul said this, Our gospel came to you, he says, not just with power, but with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. In other words, he says, it's not only come with power, but if you want a Pentecost type church, you better get ready for the Holy Spirit to move. Not just with power, but with manifestations that you are probably not used to. I've seen some crazy things in my time. The Pentecostals are known for swinging on chandeliers. Unfortunately, we've got any, we haven't got any anymore. We've got air conditioning units, but listen to me. There's manifestations sometimes that we can't understand. You read the Old Testament, you'll see some crazy stuff. And some people they delete the Holy Spirit, the move of the Holy Spirit. They remove it from the DNA because it's too much trouble. It's too much. I can't have anything messing up my system. Listen to me, if you want to be part of a real church that's, that is like the spiritual DNA from Pentecost, then you've got to get ready for a move of the Holy Ghost. There's going to, sometimes you're going to see things and think, well that doesn't fit in with my box. Well sometimes some things don't fit in with my box. But I'm not going to dismiss them. Yes, we need to discern the Spirit, but we also need to welcome the Holy Ghost, amen. But listen to this, he says this, you welcome does not just the Holy Spirit with power, not just with the Holy Spirit moving, but with deep conviction. In other words, a true church will have deep conviction of sin and repentance. I, I, I'm questioned sometimes whether some places have that deep conviction. And we need a place when we come in and we hear the word of God that we're not troubled by conviction. But we're led to repentance and to live a holy lifestyle. Amen. He says this our gospel came to you with the Holy Spirit and a deep conviction. It wasn't fluffy talk. If we want this DNA, we're going to have to experience and have some of the things the Holy Spirit's going to bring sometimes. Sometimes you're probably thinking, I don't know about it when he speaks in tongues. I don't know about it when I see, hear people singing in tongues. I'm not being filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, listen to me. On Acts chapter 2, there were people in the room. They weren't seeker-friendly. And listen to me, if you're going to become seeker-friendly, who are you trying to seek? What type of people are we trying to seek? If we're being seeker friendly, we want people to see the truth. And listen, on the day of Pentecost, Jesus didn't excuse himself. He poured out his spirit and people watched and they said, these people are drunk. We don't like this. And they watched and said, these people are drunk. And then Peter had to stand up and say, these people are not drunk as you suppose. But this is what was prophesied in Joel 2. That the spirit will be poured out in the last days. Listen to me today, if we want the move of the Holy Ghost in this house, and I do, I don't know about you, but I want the move of the Holy Spirit like we've never seen before, then we're going to have to be Pentecost people. It's not about a denomination, it's about a DNA that was poured out in Acts 2. Boy, I'm going to have to move quick. Number two today is people with audacity. We said people with authority, people with audacity. People who have audacity. You see, Paul maintained his true message. When, and they also received, it says this, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. In other words, we've just come from Philippi. He says, we left there, came to you, we've been treated outrageously. Then he says, we came to you and he says, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. In other words, Paul is saying here, when he writes them, he says this, he says, when we came to you, do you realize we left Philippi and we had loads of trouble, it was terrible, and we came to you, but he says this, he didn't say when we came and we we arrived, we checked into the hotel, we had a great time and then we came and preached on a nice evening message to someone. He says, no, we came to you and we dared, we dared to tell you the gospel in full opposition. In other words, if we want to be Pentecost people, we're going to have to dare to preach the truth. It's going to be difficult sometimes because the world is changing. The world is changing rapidly, let me tell you. And there are laws that are changing now that I've never seen in my lifetime happen so quick. There is an Antichrist spirit that is coming among us that will develop and bring the Antichrist. You see all around you the laws that have been twisted and changed. And where we think we have laws now, actually it it reflects lawlessness. Because there is, anything goes. Anything can go. And I want to ask you today, in the midst of this type of era that we're in, are you willing to be a people that declare the truth? That dare and have the audacity to declare the truth Even when you're in the face of opposition. Because that's the kind of church we need to be. Or we can choose to be one that's comfortable, that sits back, camouflages ourselves, and says, well I'm not so sure and we begin to accept and twist the word. Let me tell you this, if you want to know what type of church this is, this church is a church that adheres to the word of God. And we believe in the word of God and we will not be changing. We will not twist the word of God. The word of God is truth. And I want to encourage you today never to hold back. We want this DNA. We want to be an audacious church. and A church that has the audacity to dare to tell the truth. Someone said to me recently, they said, you know, how do we detect whether or not with some of the laws that are coming out, whether we can uh, do these things, whether we should be part of it or twist it. And I said, listen to me, the question is this, are you prepared to go to jail for it? Are you prepared to go to jail? There's the ultimate question. You can't change things to suit yourself. The question is today, do we have the audacity? Paul preached it to them. The Thessalonians accepted this true gospel, this gospel that they dared to preach. But listen to this. Do you know what they did? They also cloned it. Because years later when he writes back to them, he says, I realize that you're doing what we did. In other words, they replicated and cloned that and they didn't delete anything out of the gospel. That's what we need to do. Recently I've seemed to be losing certain friends from my past. I've been so kind of shocked by this, but there's several people that I know that were so close to me and I I worked with for many years who have now completely rejected me. And they are rejected me, I believe, I don't know for, for sure, but I'm pretty much certain that they've rejected me because of the truth I believe in. Because sometimes probably that I believe in miracles and healing. Do you know what? I like friends, but I love Jesus more. I like my friends, but if they're going to turn from me and reject me, then it proves their relationship to me. It proves their relationship to me. And I want to ask you today, are you willing to lose your friends for the truth? Are you willing when tomorrow morning you're in the cafe or you're where you're with your friends and sometimes you're gonna to have to speak out and say, Well, this is what I believe in. And this and, and it, you may not have these friends any longer. The question is, are we willing to do that? We need to be audacious. Dare to speak the truth. That's the type of people they were. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 2 to 5, Paul encourages Timothy, he says this, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. He says this, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, But you, he says to Timothy, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. And then he says this, discharge all the duties of your ministry. In other words, do everything. Don't delete anything out. Don't say I'm going to select certain things, I'm going to get rid of that bit from my DNA. Don't remove and modify anything. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And that's what we need to do today. Pentecost people were not politically correct people. And the question today is for us, are we going to become politically correct? Or are we going to be Pentecostal? Are we going to be filled with the Holy Ghost daring to speak up for the truth? No matter what it, it means for our lives. They wanted to replicate this audacity and authenticity. So they saw what Paul said and, the, and Paul's commending them. He says, this is what you're doing still. You're replicating what I've done. Number three today, we need to be people of purity. People of purity. Paul said this in First Thessalonians 2, what we read earlier, he said, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. You see, Paul never used trickery. He didn't use impure motives when he went to them and he didn't use false advertising. How many of you sometimes, uh, we go into McDonald's sometimes and I know there are other restaurants like Burger King and you can go, but we we go to McDonald's and when we go in there I'm always very surprised by the fact that when you go up to buy your burger that the pictures at the top seem to be far distant from the actual product you receive. You know, and, and what I've come to discover is this. You see, I'm, I'm a person who likes a good picture, and I, I'm stood in the queue thinking, I can't wait to have my Big Mac. That looks amazing. Until you open the polystyrene box and see the kind of creation that the guys have put together with brown lettuce, sometimes without some of the ingredients, and you think to yourself, I- I'm sorry, Laura. Laura used to work for McDonald's, but she used to create a great burger for me. But listen to me. When you go in there, I've noticed this, that over time we accept false advertising. We accept that what we buy isn't what we've seen. We accept it and it becomes the norm for us. And Paul said, when I came to you, I didn't sell you a gospel that looked like something and then you found out it was something else when you opened the tin. I didn't sell you something and tell you the truth then you discovered it was really just sugar coated and presented he says this i presented it not with impure motives we brought the truth because we were entrusted with the gospel in other words i believe we need to be a people that doesn't exact, we don't exaggerate the gospel We don't make it out to be something it's not. But we sell the truth. And we sell and give to people what they deserve. So that when they come back, they say, yes, my life is changed. But some people, they'll always amplify. One of the things I've heard people say sometimes is, that you you listen on on TV and they say, listen to this message. It will change your life forever. Will it? Will a message change your life forever? There's only one thing that's going to change your life forever, and that's Jesus. Not a message. My messages won't change your life forever. They will help you and guide you by the Holy Ghost. But listen to me. You can't put that tag on your stuff. You can't say this thing will change your life forever. Receive this special water through the post if you send $4.99. And you'll receive all the financial blessings. You can't sell something that's not real. And Paul said, we came to you... Not with impure motives. We didn't come trying to sell you something that wasn't real. And he also said this in the next verse. He says, we were not trying to please people but God. Do you know something? One of the dangerous DNA modifications you can have is pleasing people. This is how sometimes we get a reputation for being alive. Because we please people. We get into the motion of actually church is all about pleasing the congregation making people feel good. We're not here to please people. And Paul said, he says, we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Church isn't a show. It's not a performance. Titus 2 verse 10 says that we should make the teaching of our Saviour attractive. That's what it says. Many people use that scripture To talk about attractional church. They say we'll make the the teaching of our saviour attractive. That's what our objective is to do. It is. But our attraction shouldn't be a distraction from the Holy Spirit. We can use attractive methods to deliver the gospel. Not in in false ways. But we should deliver it in attractive methods. But never to the detriment of detracting from the Holy Ghost. And I want to encourage you today. That whatever attractive efforts we ever put here, we never want to lose the Holy Ghost in that effort. Paul didn't seek to please people, but it also says this in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 6, he says, We weren't, not only were we trying to please you, he says, but we were not looking for praise from people. He says, We weren't looking for getting praise from you. And some places we can sometimes get into this as a church that is not full of the Holy Ghost. We get into this system of we want to feel good by what people say we are. Listen, we're not seeking, we don't want to be a church that seeks to get praise from people. But we want to be a church that is asserting authority in the right way. Is doing things for God in the right way. That is the kind of people Pentecost people were. They didn't look for fame or praise. Do you know there are no celebrities in the kingdom of God? There's no celebrities. Sometimes we, we look around us and it looks like we've got people, you know, bringing albums out and it looks like we're looking at celebrities. We're not looking for celebrities in the kingdom of God. We're looking for family. That is what we should be seeing a family, not a bunch of celebrities. 1 Corinthians one seventeen, Paul says this, and I'm going to read the message to you. He says, God didn't send me out to collect a following for myself, but to preach the message of what he has done, collecting a following for him. And he didn't send me to do it with a lot of fancy rhetoric of my own, lest the powerful action at the center, Christ on the cross, be trivialized into mere Words. In other other words, Paul says, I didn't do what I did to collect a following for myself. I did it to collect a following for Jesus Christ. That's what we should be doing. And finally today, number four, people, Pentecost people were people of humility. They were people of humility. Paul demonstrated humility through his leadership. In 1 Thessalonians 2.9, he says, surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. <coughs> we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Listen, a Pentecost DNA is this, that we become humble. Paul went with a powerful message to Thessalonica. He says, I've come, I'm coming with the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm sure they saw miracles, they see great things. They see him come with this powerful word that convicts them. They see him come with power and not just words. But what does he do? He says, I'm going to work amongst you and do some work as well. And listen to me, we need to be people who are prepared to serve under others. Sometimes when it doesn't look right on paper. Some people say, well, I'm not willing to serve that person because that person's younger than me. Or I don't like that person. Listen to me. Paul went and he says, we've come. Can you remember our toil and hardship we did whilst we preached the gospel? We need to be people who are humble. Who were prepared to serve others. Despite age groups. Despite who these people are. He says, can you remember that? We were prepared to serve you. We were prepared to work around you. Matthew 20 verse 28, Jesus said this, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He served. Jesus himself showed that he would be someone with a servant heart. He came. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was moving in signs and wonders, however, he still washed the disciples' feet. And some of us, we can get so into celebrity status in the kingdom of God when we have power and authority, but Paul says, I didn't assert my authority, I didn't use it and twist it, but I served you as well. And That is the type of people we need to be. Paul also then deflects in humility the credit of everything to God. He says this, First Thessalonians 2, verse 13 And we also thank God continually because he says this, when you receive the word of God that we preach, which you heard from us, he says this, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God. In other words, he says, when we preach the word to you, you didn't just accept it as the word, as as human words, but you accepted it as words from God. We need to be people who deflect the credit to God. We don't take the credit. We're humble enough to say, God, I'm not anything special. It's only because of your grace. We sung earlier, boldly I approach your throne. We can only boldly approach when we realize we've done nothing to deserve where we are. And I want to encourage you today to do that very thing. Always deflect in humility the credit to God. Philippians 2 verse 3 to 11 says, "Do do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. C.S. Lewis wrote this true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. Sometimes we need to think less of ourselves. We need to think less of ourselves and put Jesus. First, when Paul spoke to the Thessalonians, he said this to summarize, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, and so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Listen to me. What he says here is very key. He says this, when I came to you and I brought these characteristics to you and we planted this church, I'm writing to tell you this, that you didn't just settle there. You imitated what we did. You reproduced the DNA of the church, which I'm telling you has worked for you and it's successful. He says you reproduced it, you imitated it, then he says you created a model In other words, you created a model for others to imitate again. So it reproduces of the same kind. It clones the same type of church. He says, you imitated, you created a model, and then he goes on to say this. And what you've done has rang out to Macedonia and Achaia and all people have heard about you. That is the type of church we need. A Pentecost church church. That imitates the very DNA of where we're supposed to be. That creates a model for others to see. And also does something that people hear about outside these four walls. Amen. That people everywhere hear the type of church we are. Not for our fame, but for the glory of God. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we trust that the word of God has inspired you today.